Hi everyone and welcome to Retail Recorded by Colliers. Here I am again, Angie Solanke, National Director of Retail Services at Colliers for the U.S. And I'm excited to have more amazing people join our continued monthly podcast series. So here we go. Today, we're excited to have Professor Suzanne Hollander, who is not only just an attorney, a speaker, a advisor, but she handles so much in terms of sharing research and information and advising private investors, government entities, other commercial real estate firms throughout the U.S. and Latin America regarding urban, regional development, finance strategies to make us all learn more and be better at retail. So I'm excited to have Suzanne here with us today. How are you? Hi, Angie. Thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to join you. Uh, the pleasure is really mine, and I love talking about retail and shopping centers, so I'm very much looking forward to the discussion with you. That is excellent. So um, we're going to just dive right into the questions, but I really, really want to share with our audience Look her up. Amazing in terms of articles and what she's done. I mean, she has traveled all throughout uh, Latin America focused on understanding how retail is working um, and speaking to landlords and speaking to developers and retailers alike to better understand what nuances are occurring and how she can bring some of that information back to us here in the States. So with that, I know you're passionate about retail. You just shared a little hint. I think people are going to recognize that once we dive into the questions. So can you share a little bit about this amazing journey that you took uh, just recently throughout Lantam and, and help us better understand how the consumer is shopping, how the landlords are changing and developing uh, new concepts and insights? Sure, Angie. I'm pleased to. Um, the seeds of this uh, came about back in uh, 2018 when I was invited to be an expert attorney at a, a law school in Lima, Peru. And I uh, took about 50 students to the largest um, shopping center in Lima, Peru, which is called Jockey Plaza. And we met with the managers and with the with the general manager and also the um, general counsel, and we reviewed their leases. And at that time, they were they had a lot of questions for me about trends in the U.S., types of percentage rent, um, how we were capturing um, online sales with um, brands that were in the store. And then I was invited to come back in November 2019. And these dates are, are just important because of, of what happens in the world. And I was the only professor from the US um, and attorney at the ICSC Latin American Annual Retail Conference in Lima in 2019. And again, the focus was looking at asking me if I could predict trends that would happen that would make their um, centers more successful in the future. And I joked that I didn't bring my crystal ball, but I thought that a trend might be an increase in um, online sales and perhaps an Amazon effect. But I was sure wrong. And if I had brought my crystal ball, I would have been able to see that three months later, the pandemic would change the way retail operates around the world. And also for a variety of reasons, um, the Amazon effect 
and its impact on shopping has not come to Latin America. So after the shutdown, I maintained my relationships with the um, owners and operators and brands. And in Spanish, we call them marcas, the marks that were the big brands in Latin America. And once um, the travel restrictions were lifted, I, I went down uh, last summer and I had the opportunity to visit over 70 shopping centers in five countries. And the five countries are Brazil, Chile, Argentina, Peru, and Paraguay. And what's significant is that those five countries have a population of roughly the size of the U.S., about 320 million people. That is amazing. So I have a quick question for you. Um, sure. Not to interrupt, but, you know, what I find really fascinating is you took the time to, you know, head down there and really take a deep dive in terms of, you know, what's going on from that perspective. Uh, and so my question for you there is when you were doing this, um, I'm assuming you were starting to develop uh, additional questions to, or expand, you expanded your, your list of questions when you were going through that, that process. And was there a, a theme that you identified from, from speaking to a lot of these mall owners um, or retailers? And I think that's a good question. And please feel free um, at any time just to jump in, you know, because it's a discussion. So, in addition to speaking to them, my feet were on the street, or as I would say, my feet were in the center. So I was walking uh, multiple centers a day with an owner, uh, an operator, or a tenant, a big retailer. And I learned a lot of themes, not just from talking with them, but by physically seeing the layout of the centers, the location in the cities, and also that they were very, very full. So they were full in tenant occupancy to pre-pandemic levels, but also they were full in terms of it was hard to get a seat at the coffee store. Um, if there was a parking lot, it was very full. So these centers were full. And I just taught a class about um, shopping, shopping centers and retail this week with my students and uh, here in, in Miami. And they told me that when they go to a shopping center in a U.S., they feel that it's a ghost town. And there was no feeling like that in Latin America. So that was one thing. The first thing was that they were physically full. So that, that leads to the question, how can these shopping centers be full in Latin America? We've seen in the news in the beginning of this year that there's been socio-political unrest in Peru and Brazil. There have been riots in the street that have turned violent. There's wild inflation. So given those factors, you wouldn't expect that a shopping center would be full. Exactly. In the exactly. face of all of that. So that, that was interesting. That started to have me look like, what is it that they're providing that, that's making them full when our centers aren't? It can't mm -hmm. only be the Amazon effect that's impacting our centers. It has to be something more. And it's interesting then because, you know, um, I was actually just in, I was in Argentina, um, in Buenos Aires, back November of last year. And, you know, as you just stated, you have all these local country by country nuances that 
sometimes, you know, when you're looking at data and stats and comparing, you have to take those elements into in culture as well into consideration. And, um, you know, as you know, uh, inflation and the value of the Argentine dollar, et cetera, has been wildly volatile. Um, and yet when we were there, to your point, restaurants were full. Uh, people were still, you know, trying to enjoy, although I'm sure you may be, you know, behind the scenes, it might be a little more challenging. But it was just very interesting because I think it's it's very cultural in terms of how um, people behave and shop in that entire shopping journey. I think so. I and mean, I think, Andrew, you have some really good points. And, and you saw it, it sounds like what I saw. So one of the things, and I'll start with culture, I'm going to talk about a few different trends. So the first one, I'm going to talk about culture. Pope Francis, he was the Pope born and raised in um, Argentina, wrote a book called Happiness in This Life. And I really believe that the Latin American shopping malls are trying to implement this for their communities to bring a type of happiness in this life. And I'll, I'll talk about that. But so that's one, that's culture. We'll get back to it. The second thing, and this came about in all the countries. Now, remember, each country is different. Each one has its own challenges. But I heard this over and over again. And I'm going to say it in Portuguese, but then I'll translate it. And it's, A vaca engorda quando o dona está presente. And what that means is the cow gets fat when the owner is present. So most of the owners of the shopping centers that I visited were family offices, or if it wasn't a family office, it was a partially owned, um, it was like 50-50, a family office with a large investment group. And those owners were on site. So if I showed up on a Sunday, they met me at the mall on a Sunday morning. If it was the afternoon, it was the afternoon. They were on site and they knew the names of their customers and they also knew the names of their retailers. So it was a very different experience than, for example, a big entity like a Unibal Redemco that has many malls around the U.S., but the owners aren't on site. The person who's making the decision is sitting in an office somewhere far away. So an Another thing about that, and I'd say the owners have to be on site in Latin America, because at first I thought maybe I didn't understand the Spanish. Um, they were telling me that there's no debt. So there's no commercial financing that's available to construct a shopping center in Latin America. So that means that the owner of the shopping center really has a lot of skin in the game. And they need to be very close with their tenants. And they also need to be very close with their communities, with, with who, are, who are their shoppers. So I think about that because when I teach commercial landlord tenant law in class, oftentimes I ask two students to come up and hold hands. Mm -hmm. And they, they do it. And I say, when you're holding hands, that's the example of the landlord tenant relationship. Because you're very dependent on each other. In the U.S., I say that there's a third party. It's kind of like a ghost who didn't sign the lease but has a lot of influence on the lease and the landlord-tenant relationship, and that's the lender. And in Latin America, there isn't that lender. 
So that leaves the, the landlord to be very flexible with the tenant. In real time, they can make concessions. Uh, they can decide what to do during COVID. They don't have to wait for a lender's approval, and they don't have to worry that they're in default of the loan. That's a really interesting point because um, I, I love the way you articulated this visually for me because it, it's it's we do forget the lender aspect in the larger retail uh, projects here in the U.S. and they are a critical piece. Not only critical piece when it when it comes to just the the debt side um, when you're looking at it from a sales perspective, but also when you need to you know, recapitalize or deploy capital uh, through a, a, you know, remodel of the entire project or a large uh, tenant allowance, etc. And many times we have to be thinking about that here in, in the U.S. So my question for you is, do you, because the, because the relationship between the landlord and the tenant is that strong, are there challenges associated, meaning that at times can it be perceived that the tenant feels, well, if I have this direct relationship with the landlord and I'm struggling, I need extra capital, I'm going to renew and extend my term, um, but my sales are weak, do they feel as well, I have this, you know, call it friendship working relationship, they should honor my request. I think it's symbiotic. I've also, it's also been described that the owners of shopping centers in Latin America could be called the retailers of retailers, which means that they know that they're very dependent on the success of their retailer. So I think it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship that the, the shopping center really wants to curate um, tenants that are a good mix. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when I talk about culture. And also tenants that um, they want the tenants to have that open relationship with them so that if there is a problem, they can they can immediately react to it and and um, think of strategies to fix it. Another thing I found interesting was that most of the shopping center owners or operators that I met had in-house teams to um, obtain their tenants. They didn't use outside brokers very often. So most of them were, were reaching out from their own in-house team to, to the, the tenants or what we call the marcas, the, the marks, the brands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And is that because they want, uh, it's more to influence, it's more of a principle to principle? Is that, does that lead back to the culture question? Is that customary? I think it leads back to the, the um, cow gets fat when the owner's present. Mm-hmm. So it's very hands-on management. You know, if I'm an owner of a center in Latin America, I'm, I'm sitting in the center. Um, it's me or my team who is calling the tenant. It's not, you know, some third party, that type of thing. For, for yeah, the most control part, like I said, this is around a variety of different countries. Sure, sure. Interesting. Okay. So then another question is um, the focus, the target market. And there's a question, is it better to have a customer with $1 million dollars? or 1 million customers. And most of the shopping centers that I visited, not all, but most of them in Latin America focused on the largest percentage of the population, which is not luxury. So they focused on the the low to medium uh, segment of the market who are locals, 
who need to buy at the center who are going to keep coming back. It's very risky for a shopping center in Latin America to focus on luxury because there are not so many um, people there of their population that have that type of those types of funds. Mm-hmm. And also people with those types of funds might prefer to fly to uh, Paris to buy their Louis Vuitton than mm-hmm. to, to do it in, in their country. And they can. So that's really important. And then another thing is that in many of the countries like Peru, Brazil, percentages between let's say 50 and 70 percentage percent of the economy of the economy of the people are informal so they're paid cash they don't have a bank account they don't have a credit card so it's a little bit different to think about ways to accept um, funds from them and some of the mall owners like Falabella that is a large group out of Chile that owns malls in uh, Chile Peru and uh Colombia and some other countries, they work to create an app that lets people pay from their phone. So they're really catering to the low to medium segment of the population, but it's the the majority of the population. Well, Falabella is one of my favorites. So when uh, uh, we were down there and our friends had purchased a, a house in Buenos Aires, we went shopping. We were at Falabella almost every day. <laughs> so it's disappointing to see that they did pull out of Argentina, but uh, yeah, a great well, Bella pulled out of Argentina, but so did all of the international brands. Yeah. And it's kind of a shock because Argentina was seen for many years or was like the Paris of Latin America with mm-hmm. um, very beautiful stores, very high end stores. But their government has passed a number of regulations that um, put a tax or a type of um, impuesto, a tax on foreign made goods and uh, put a tax on dollars. So that's led to the exodus of many, many, um, no, of almost all retailers that are, that are global brands. For example, I met uh, many retailers that would go to Paraguay, which is mm-hmm. just a 50 minute flight away where they use the dollar, there's no restrictions on the dollar, and it's much more um, business friendly um, Mm -hmm. for that. But still, like you said, the, um, like your experience, the shopping centers are full. So I want to get back um, to the culture um, that we were talking about. And I'm going to talk to you about some of the, the culture. So what I heard from many Latin American shopping owners And for example, the CEO of a mall in Sao Paulo told me this. Um, Well, Brazil used to look to the U.S. for trends to follow. Now the U.S. mall is more focused on compras, purchases. And Brazil is looking to China and Japan for new ideas, that they're more focused on innovation and automation. I also heard that echoed when I was in Mendoza, Argentina, from the owner of Palmeiras Open Mall. He said he looks to the malls at Dubai of Dubai for innovation and that the U.S. is too focused on fashion, not on fun, not on culture. So let me tell you some of the fun and culture that I, that I saw. El Dorado Mall is one of the largest malls in Sao Paulo. It's in a very dense area of the city surrounded by skyscrapers. I climbed up. I was fortunate that I brought flat shoes with me. Because I climbed up, I would say, four ladders mm-hmm. to the roof of this mall where I, with the with the CEO, of course, where 
I was greeted with an urban organic farm covering the roof. And the whole community, including all of the employees of the mall, it's about 400 employees, are so proud of this uh, urban organic farm because it takes the waste of the food and they use it uh, to fertilize the, the farm on the roof. And then all of the food that's created is given back to the employees. And it's a tremendous example of ESG. And it also cools the, cools the mall itself. Another example is um, in Mendoza, Argentina, and also in Jockey Plaza in Lima, Peru. <coughs> there are medical clinics that are, that are at the mall. Um, the one in Mendoza saw, sees 30,000 patients a month. I, I had a cold when I was there because it was a um, opposite seasons and I was seen by the doctor there and it was fast. And then we could get right back to the tour in Lima, Peru, where the streets some have some social violence. Sometimes it's dirty. The largest mall there has a slogan that says, you are a citizen here. Eres ciudadano con derechos. You're a citizen with rights. And they told me even during the, the period of time that it was a little complicated um, back in January with the political tensions that there were more sales at the mall. And I think it's because people felt comfortable. Right, um, right. They felt safe in, in there. Yeah. In Chile and Santiago, I went to um, one of Falabella's malls, Mall Oeste. And the, the board member there told me that the mall is the corazón, the heart of the community. People want to take care of their mall. You know, we hear in the U.S. sometimes there's shootings, there's things in the mall. She said, no, people want to take care of the mall. They see it as their own backyard. So mm -hmm. in that mall, there's a zoo, there's a pirate ship, there's a green space. And also remember, in many of these countries, there is no green space. So this is like you were saying when we were speaking earlier, a third place, a mm -hmm. place where people can gather and feel safe and um, shop, but also a place for the whole community. Another example, and people love Disney in Brazil, right. but it's a, it's a trek, it's eight hours, and it's expensive to travel to the U.S. So at El Dorado Mall in uh, Sao Paulo, they had an immersive experience with Disney and Pixar, and the line for days was out, out the door. But it brought people in to have the experience, not just for fashion. Well, what's really interesting about what you're just sharing is um, I've had similar experiences. You know, I, I think, you know, um, as we, we travel more and more globally, the I think two things that really came to mind was the um, owner developer that said, hey, we want to create fun. We're looking to Dubai for innovation and excitement and entertainment um, and I agree. I mean, you're seeing more of that in other countries, like in Finland and Helsinki at Mall of Tripla, where they have, you know, a um, uh, a beach volleyball where you can play beach volleyball. And they have three, basically three or four large. Um, and this is at the basement of, of the mall uh, dedicated for kids and families to come out, have fun because it's typically quite cold there. And it's, you know, again, going back to that third place. But what I find so fascinating is this unique correlation of taking a experience and, and creating something around it because you have so much real estate and the opportunity to do that. And I found it really fascinating when you brought up just now 
how here in the U.S. we do have some components of it. For example, you know, the Mall of America um, and larger projects that allow for it. But we really seem to be more on the consumer side of spend at the moment versus the call it fun and entertainment side. Would you agree with that? I agree with that. Um, it's it's on more on the consumer side. And I took a poll of my students just this week and they said that they don't go to the mall because they can just buy what they need online and there's nothing at the mall for, for them to do. And it's a hassle. I think the other thing is that these malls, this organic garden is surrounded by thousands of residential units. So it's smack in the middle of the city. You don't have to go drive there. You can walk there or you can take a public transportation. And what I wanted to mention is that ICSC International Council of Shopping Centers, which is an amazing group and I'm part of it, very substantive for the shopping center industry, in July 2021, um, changed its name to Innovating Commerce Serving Communities. And now they use the term marketplace instead of shopping center uh, when they're talking about malls. And on their website, they define marketplace as an the marketplace industry is made up of the places and spaces where people buy, dine, work, play together, and is fundamental to communities and economies. And what I what I witnessed is that shopping centers in Latin America have always been this. They've always been a marketplace. And when I use the mall in Latin America, they don't know what I'm talking about because they actually either call the shopping center, Centro Comercial, shopping center, or they just say shopping. And it's a verb, which means it's an action. It's something that people do. It's not only just a place. And I think that that's really um, important as well in in what happens uh, in the experience of the Latin American um, shopping mall. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the terminology really needs to change because as we discussed earlier as well, you know, the the purpose isn't the shopping aspect, it's the socialization, socializing mm-hmm. with friends, socializing with family, socializing, you know, as an individual and, and just kind of, you know, enjoying the environment and um, people watching and seeing what people are talking about or what they're wearing, etc. And so it's so you highlight something important, which is uh, landlords really need to take uh, into cons- into consideration uh, strongly that the look, the feel, the management, the merchandising, uh, the capex, the positioning of the retail, um, the real estate is is on point and current uh, with what the consumer is looking for. Otherwise, they, the consumer is going to go elsewhere. So, you know, you highlight something very important, but let me ask you this, you know, if there is no debt in, you know, with these projects and centers in Latin America, is there an opportunity for the U.S. to come in and help or what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I I believe that it it actually creates an opportunity um, because there is no debt. So it makes the, the shopping centers a little bit illiquid. And, you know, as, as we're, I just attended a, an event in Washington, the Association of Foreign Investors in Real Estate, and it's large groups like pension funds, sovereign wealth funds. They're looking where, where to invest. And 
and they're looking to do global allocation of wealth. So as cap rates are shrinking around the U.S., perhaps it's a way to um, another investment opportunity for U.S. companies um, to partner with. I, I would say to partner with an owner in Latin America because that owner has has their you know their ear to the ground. They know the tenants, but perhaps there could be an opportunity um, to to invest and not have as much competition as the U.S. Now, one thing is that there has to be a stomach for risk because there is political risk and there is country risk. But many groups that invest outside of their country in retail, for example, like Falabella, there's a lot of Chilean groups that invest in um, Peru. They say that they take the long-term look. They're not looking um, you know, every year. They're taking the long-term look in that investment. So I do think that there's an opportunity and um, I, I know that I could help with that. That's amazing. Well, as I mentioned, you know, at the beginning of the um, podcast is, you know, your wealth of information, but it's not just the information, but you're also your experience and expertise in this space uh, and your ability to help in, in, in terms of, you know, advisory, consulting um, and transactional. So, uh, you know, that's that's also very important, um, especially as you have spent a you know incredible amount of not just time but due diligence uh, over the many many months visiting the various centers and and projects and mall owners and retailers in Latin America so now Suzanne I, we're really coming up to time here it's probably one of my longest uh, podcasts but I think it was valuable uh, and we could keep talking about so many various things but Final question for you which is always the fun question that we have if you could be any retailer, uh, who would it be and why? Okay. I thought about this one and um, I actually, I'm choosing to be a grocery. COVID really shined a light on supermarkets and grocery stores. Um, they were open during the pandemic in all countries. There's When I first visited Peru years ago, actually I was at a meeting with the, the general manager of Jockey Plaza and he mentioned to me that there are towns in Peru of millions of people that don't have a grocery store. So there's food deserts in, in many, many places. And I think COVID showed us that, that people still go um, to the grocery store. And now with um, inflation rising, the fewer people are going out to eat. They're saying, I'm reading some trends, but the gro- they're still going to the grocery store. So grocery stores have a lot of flexibility and they can be creative. I've heard that um, some grocery stores in Florida are starting to offer um, happy hours. So people will come in to buy, you know, the wine because they're not going to go to somewhere and pay more for it. And then they have a happy hour or they even have a cooking like cooking classes uh, or even other types of classes within the store. So I like that. I also like um, you mentioned that you like Falabella. I like Falabella's model, which is that it has three lines. It has the, the, the department store, Falabella. It has um, the it has a Home Depot type store. And then it also has a, a Home Depot type store is called Sodimac. And then it also has a um, grocery store, which is Torres. And during the pandemic, uh, you could still go to the grocery store and the Home Depot store. And you could order things online from the department store and they would be delivered to the grocery store as a pickup point. So I, I really um, like that. 
And I think that, you know, and then we also see that now around the U.S., there's a lot of different types of types of grocery stores, meaning that they're smaller concepts and they can be in urban environments or in, or they're even grant funds for um, places that, that need them. So I like the idea of a retailer that's a grocery store as long as they do their due diligence on demographics. Yep, definitely. It sounds like, you know, everyone frequents the grocery store. They have to eat. So <laughs> it's definitely the highest visited retailer category out there. So I want to say thank you so much, Suzanne. This was very insightful. I mean, you really made me start thinking about, you know, even do a deeper dive as it relates to personas based on cultural inputs and aspects and points of view, but also not only just when they're in their own country, but also when they're visiting other countries and how they look look at other countries and what their perspectives are. So uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing those insights, your trends, um, how we can partner between Latin America and the U.S. It's, it's been very uh, enlightening. Uh, so I want to say thank you and let's definitely stay connected. This is a growing space. I want to say thank you um, to all of our listeners for staying uh, glued in here uh, and, and learning more. Um, so as, as we always say at Colliers, we are focused on our clients, our audience, sharing knowledge about the industry and core topics. So thank you for joining us today and tune in for next month's podcast at Retail Recorded at Colliers. Thank you.